0: The Natural Man Podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice or a diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man Podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcome. That may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of the Natural Man Podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Natural Man Podcast. This is the Natural Man Podcast. Podcast. Have you ever pondered the question, what is the difference between health and disease? How do we measure our health? Is it just lab work or is there more to the equation? How do we truly optimize our health? And once we reach optimal health, how do we stay there? Our guest has been asking these questions for many years. He's a PhD neuroscientist, biochemist, synthetic organic chemist, inventor, and clinical research expert. In 1999, he invented a patented diagnostic technology that made it possible to monitor human biochemistry comprehensively for the first time in history. His innovations led to an extensive patent portfolio of diagnostic tests for early detection and screening of diseases such as cancers, autism, multiple sclerosis. Parkinson's, ALS, Alzheimer's, dementia, bipolar disease, schizophrenia, unipolar depression, cardiovascular disease, and others. We are pleased to have on the podcast today, I'm very excited, Dr. Dayan Goodnow. Dr. Goodenow, thanks for being here. You got a very impressive resume.
1: Well, thank you, Mike. I'm really happy to be here and, and discuss these important topics with your viewers. Yeah, it's... Or your listeners, if, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, some of the research you're doing is uh, so fascinating. We have a, a regular contributor to this podcast, Dr. Linda Wright, who um, uh, helps us so much behind the scenes with, with content. And uh, she discovered you and um, you know, she shared many notes that she had on, on your research and it's just been so helpful. She's such a huge help. Uh, To this effort. And um, I'm really excited that she found you. And, you know, I want to start with the basics here. You view human wellness a little differently than most researchers and most doctors. So I want to ask you the question how is disease a deviation from health?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And as you start, you know, peeling back the onion on that question, like the whole concept of health and longevity um, and how do we live a long, healthy life has been a question that has you know, intrigued humans since the beginning of time because we're one of the few pl- people that can actually ponder our own existence, if you will, mm-hmm. right? And so we look into that in greater detail. And I think as you start unraveling that, the biggest thing that we have been kind of programmed into is this symptom-based concept of health. Right, and it comes from the fact that most people see a doctor when they're not feeling very well. Right, they have something wrong with them. So you you have a preordained problem that a doctor's job is to find out what's wrong with you. So medicine is primarily designed to diagnose an individual with the pre you're presupposed to have something. Right. Right. And so we're really not designed for thinking of health and optimized health. And as you start going back into this, we think of disease as something that we get, right? We think of it like a bacterial infection. And that's really and then that's really just not true. As you go back and we start thinking about these things in greater depth, what the the biggest concept is the the absence of a thing is not a thing. Right. Right. And if you get back to just the basic physics, right? For example, there's no such thing as cold. There's just either heat Or lack of heat and there's actually no such thing as darkness there's either light or the absence of light so the absence of health is disease so you don't actually and so this is where even when we talk about longevity and immortality what we've talked about people think about if i just stop all the bad stuff from happening okay i can live forever but that's just not true okay if you if you remove all the negatives the best you can achieve is a zero right if you want more love in your life, you have to add more love in. Like you can't right. just take hate away and expect the love to fill up the hole. Mm-hmm. And the health is the same way. And so when we think about, as we start looking at this and how human lifespan has changed, right? We've we've done very little on the ability to extend the maximum lifespan of a human being. We have improved the average lifespan. So what's, what's really done a really good job is we've done a very good job At reducing premature death right infant mortality has gone down death from infections have gone down death from accidents have gone down and people forget for most of human history the rate of death was pretty well constant across all platforms well the same number of 50 year olds died as 80 year olds Mm -hmm. if, if you will right and it's only been the last century or so that all of these early mortalities have been reduced and we pushed all of these mortalities to a very tight window now, such that everyone really dying at the same time. Right. And so this really, as you go back to this, because we start chasing our tail, thinking of a disease and a disease, and we don't realize what the core operating system of life is. And, and, and kind of the, the natural progression of this thing is, you know, can you live forever? Because that's function. Mm-hmm. And so people think, oh, you know, I'm going to have an anti-aging approach. Or they think that disease is, like aging isn't actually a disease. And that's an incredibly dangerous concept to allow into your brain. Because it's not something that you acquire, it's something that you lose. Right? And so when, you, when, you're, when you're born, you have life. And life is basically function and purpose. And that function and purpose permeates from your own decision-making process in your fully functioning lives or down to the actual cellular level, which cell provides a purpose for which, you know, what function for what purpose. Yeah. And so deviations from health means that you're really dealing with the second law, third thermodynamics, which is entropy, right? So the first law, that's why, why for me, chemistry and biochemistry is kind of ground zero for understanding cellular health, but that actually builds upon your total health, is that the first law is like matter cannot be destroyed or created. So we just move things around, right? Mm-hmm. So the sun hits the chloroplast of a plant and the plant converts that electromagnetic energy from carbon dioxide and water creates a glucose molecule, right? Mm-hmm. All that sunlight energy is stored in the hydrocarbons. And then we take in those hydrocarbons and we burn it just like a furnace and we create, we, we, we re generate the carbon dioxide and water and that heat and the energy we use to create, to, to live
0: right
1: but what are we using that energy for okay so what we're using it for is to maintain order and that's where the second law of thermodynamics is like the complex systems require more and more energy to maintain order and structure mm-hmm. and i normally tell people health is like it's the difference between having a messy bed and a made bed the entire world conspires around like you get up in the morning you make your bed it looks so great and the rest of the day conspires about unmaking your bed, right? You sit on the bed and it gets yeah. all wrinkled, right? Yeah. You put your clothes in the bed, it gets all wrinkled. But then yeah. you have to put energy in. So you have to get up and you have to go and you have to fold, you know, smooth the bed out. So in order to main, maintain that order, you have to put energy in. Same thing if you say you, you like collecting ceramic dolls, for example, right? And you have this mm-hmm. great doll collection and you have it displayed on a, on a shelf in your house. Well, it takes a lot of energy to keep that shelf clean, right? You're there cleaning right. and dusting and whatever, right? And then sooner or later, 5 years, 10 years, you know, you get tired of cleaning your shelf. <laughs> and and you get this dust accumulating. So that is the universe around us. Like your house will will degenerate into to chaos if you don't continually put energy back in. Right. And so that's really where the health deviation comes from. So you don't like we we lose that order. And the question is, is how do we maintain that structure and order indefinitely? And the way to do that is, first of all, understand when things deviate from normal and then be able to apply strategic energy. And this is where the purposefulness and the function are an interplay. And we forget about this as we get older, because for the first, say, 50 years or so of our lives, our purpose is pretty well... Determined for us by our society, right? Right. You, you know, you go to school. You know, you want to get a job. You want to get a relationship. You want to get married. So you have to have. There's things you basically need to do to have a spouse, right? Or and then you work. You have a family, and all of these things kind of drive your purpose. Yeah. And it and we and we say, oh, that's all stressful, and I can't wait till I retire because this is. A, but we forget that that purpose is what has been driving you to do things. And the function of your body will adapt to it. And this is the other part of longevity and maintaining health that's so critical for people to understand. The other false concept that people fall into is this evolution versus adaptation. Okay, Evolution takes this very passive approach where some infinite amount of time of random mutations, of of gain of function has somehow created this organism of us that... Mm -hmm has no self-direction associated with it. And that's fundamentally just not true. Like if mm-hmm. you think about just the human body itself, every single cell of your body has exactly the same DNA, okay? But it performs different functions. Right. Okay, so the, your, your cardiac myocyte versus a neuron versus a lung cell versus an adipose tissue storing energy, okay, these all have the exact same DNA, but they have adapted to a purpose they've, they've or a function. OK, just like humans can do an incredibly various things like you and I can be having a conversation like this. People are policemen mm-hmm. are doing their job, person mm-hmm. working at the grocery store is doing their job and they become skilled at it, They become adapted. They, they learn based upon the environment around them, but it's dependent upon the function. And so this is the other part that we have the, the wellness clinic in Canada where we're dealing with more severe illnesses and we deal with late stage illnesses from a trauma perspective, because mm-hmm. sometimes purposefulness is really important. And human beings, I know we're getting really philosoph- philosophical, but human beings are one of the few organisms that actually commit suicide, right? Mm. So, and so if you commit, if, for a human being to basically kill themselves means that they have reached a point of no purpose. Right. right? Like they, and so that tells you how powerful purpose is in driving our life because mm-hmm. it's so powerful that people will actually kill themselves for a lack of purpose or lack of feeling that they are important enough to be alive right and so as we go forward in this scene, so purposefulness is important that we have a reason you know, so one of the biggest things is you know if you don't have a you have to have a reason to get up so no matter how much health you want to create if a person does not want to be alive that person will not stay alive then the next part is the functional capability of maintaining that and this is where i basically it's like a race car driver in a pit crew right so they work hand in hand if i want to design a better and better race car the driver will drive and say, you know what, this brake pad doesn't work, well, or whatever, and mm-hmm. your pit crew has to be able to build it for the driver. And you're the driver, your biochemistry and your health is your functional capability. And what happens as we get older, and this is the other part where people look at you know, genetics, they look at epigenetics, and they look at things that change with age, and they, they misconstrue some of these changes with age as causative versus adaptive. Like a lot of, the, most of the genetic changes that we have are the body adapting to our level of function. Right. And so most people as they get older, they mentally don't lose their desire to do young things. They lose the functional ability to do the young things that are in their mind. So you'll Mm -hmm. see the, so, and so what happens then is your, as your body reduces its function, the purpose that you can perform in this life shrinks. And as that shrinks, your your function of the body shrinks as well. So the same thing as the human body, like the brain, for example. The brain shrinks as we get older and it shrinks due to um, inability to maintain its neuronal firing rate. Right. So back to this deviation from health process is that the pit crew, which is your biochemistry, which is building the membranes of your body, building, the, making sure that the heat and the mitochondria are working, making sure that, you know, the proteins are being made. That functional capability drives our extent of purpose and so when we're talking about deviations from health that's what we're looking at so when the mitochondria the powerful thing we know is that we know how the human body is supposed to work it works very very well for very, many many years okay so we have we we don't have to play god okay so what's happened with the pharmaceutical industry over the years is not not in a real negative way just just things happen things people think they have a great idea it really happened with chlorpromazine Okay, Thorazine in the in the fifties when they were using it potentially for tuberculosis and realized it really cured people with with uh, psychoses, Mm -hmm. and so and people forget we used to have we used to have psychiatric hospitals virtually on every corner in this country like we and so this drug was developed and say we had you know penicillins you know in the decades before that so this mindset that we can block these bad things right and so we come in we stop things right so. We take a statin to block cholesterol. We take, you know, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. But that is kind of us tinkering with the operating system. Right. Versus actually saying health means restoring function. Okay. So if you restore the function of those cells, you don't need to be blocking these, these, these features. So the, right. the, the deviation from health is basically being able to understand that. And the scientific job is to understand how do I supply the pit crew with the tires and the brake pads and the fuel to make this race car fully functioning? Because if it is, it should last, It should run forever. And that's right. where the deviation from health comes from. And the, and the technology, so where biochemistry becomes really the, the ground zero of all this is because that is where basically the first law of thermodynamics and the second law of ther- thermodynamics collide right one is being biochemical transformations because we don't live on air and oxygen and and water right we take hydrocarbons in we convert them into proteins we convert them into lipids so we are a very active um organism and it takes a supply and demand chain and over time so aging is just a probabilistic feature of anything like if i take 500 brand new 66 Ford Mustangs off the line, okay, okay? And don't really do any kind of maintenance. I can fairly accurately predict what, how many miles the brake pads will, will fail, how many right. miles the engine will fail, okay? And so that's just because if you don't do anything, this is exactly what's going to happen. But
0: right. then
1: if you start intervening, once you start intervening by... Proper maintenance, understanding, diagnosing car problems, right, and then having very specific actions. So when you when you restore a car, you restore your house, right? You don't just block bad things; you add back in the function that is required for maintenance. So that's the how. So when you're dealing with optimal health long term, this Mm -hmm. is where the problem has been. So we've been we've been trying to stop death, right? We've been trying to stop yeah. disease. We try to block all these negative things from happening to us. And we, and we forget the other side of the coin is that you have to put life in. And this is where the, when we talk about optimizing health and restoring biochemistry is really just feeding the body, providing it with the materials and the direction, right? So, For example, it's about adaptability. So when you work out, for example, you you have to trick the body. Like the whole concept of adaptation. Like you, you you need to create an environment for your body and your mind to adapt to a higher level of function. So if you exercise, right, what you're doing, you're you're tricking the body. Okay, you're basically saying the body doesn't know the difference, right? It's saying. And you're saying, you know, you're lifting 100-pound weights or whatever it is. And now the body thinks, oh, my goodness, this guy lives in an environment that requires 100-pound weights being lifted all day long. Mm -hmm. So I better better adapt to this environmental demand. And so it builds the muscles and it adapts to that environmental demand you put on it. So when we're sitting here having a conversation on my butt here all day long, I'm clearly not – my life generally does not require that level of physical strength, right? right? I don't There's really, there's actually nothing in my life that requires that level of physical strength in my daily activity. So yeah. I am totally tricking my, my body into thinking that it lives in a place that I have to lift weights all day long. That's what right. so adapts to it. Right. And, and that's so that's a good thing, right? And, and that's, ex- that's exactly right. So that's, yeah. that's creating a reserve capacity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. It's, it's creating, and, and it's, and so the same thing happens with your mitochondrial strength. So being able to maintain oxygen levels, you know, so these are why these exercises and everything are very, very powerful, but that also goes down to the micro, the, the, just the, the biochemical level of your, of your cells. And mm-hmm. so as time goes on, you know, we can chase our tail and say, okay, why do plasma plasmalogens go down when, they go, when we get older? You know, our hormone levels will change. Oxidative stress obviously gets elevated. You know, we have oxidative stress markers that go up type two diabetes increases with age cardiovascular disease, all these age-related diseases, cancer, the incidence of cancer is all increased with age.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and we say, well, look at that. That's so powerful. Like this like the age is causing all this. Yeah. But no, it's what it is, is—is it's, it's not the same thing for every person. And even if you take a 110-year-old person who dies, okay, the light switch doesn't get turned off, okay, and their brain and their eyes and their heart and their lungs and their toes, the whole body doesn't instantly die on the same day, right? And so clearly even a 110-year-old person who's dying, 80% of their body is still functioning, right. but one critical system isn't. And so we forget about, so we get so focused on the negative side of the equation, we forget to add things in. Cancer is a really good example where we focus on to kill the cancer, kill the cancer, kill the cancer. Yeah. And you forget the fact that you have an entire body around that cancer that can pretty well drive it out if you, if you restore the health of the system around it. So back to this whole concept of deviation from health versus, versus disease, the disease is a symptomatic outcome. It is the difference between a bald tire and a flat tire. Okay. Disease is that flat tire. And if I have, if, if you go to a tire shop and you look in the back of the tire shop and look at all these flat tires, you'll say, wow, look at all this. Like most of these flat tires are bald. So you'll say, so you're, so the disease, you say, so do bald tires cause flat tires, right? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. probabilistically. Yeah. yeah. But you can't predict if I put, if I put four ball tires on your car and say, go drive. Okay. I don't know which one's going to go flat first. Right. right. One. And so you have, and if you live in a place that you have no rocks or no, you know, if you, if you sweep everything around you, you can run on ball tires for a very long time before yeah. you get a flat tire. So this is where the, so this is where the concept of deviation from health can lead to multiple outcomes. And so measuring ball tires and saying, you know what, I know that this is not healthy. This is not normal. Yeah. I don't really have to wait for the flat tire. Okay, so what we do in the health system right now is we wait for the tire to go flat. Right. And we put a patch on the tire. And we put the bald tire with a patch back on the road again. And that's why people with cancer who've been technically cured of cancer, their recurrence rate is still much, much higher than the regular population because there was a reason why they got cancer in the first place. Right. And we can actually measure. We can we can describe that biochemistry. So when we're looking at optimized health, it's really quite simple conceptually. The the tricky part is learning how to supply the right nutrients into the right parts of the body, right? Okay, and being able to measure that. So that's kind of where it all comes down to. So that's kind of where so measuring deviations from health are highly predictive. And what's good about measuring health versus measuring disease is that you focus on the positive mm-hmm. um, and it you don't really have to worry about all the downstream effects. Like a type two diabetic, okay, there's 10 different complications that arise from that. All of which are avoided if you deal with the upstream circumstance.
0: Right. And so
1: that's kind of what I've been working with. And I've been showing people like even brain restoration and restoring brain structure and volume with time. So that's the, that's the concept of health versus disease. And if you want to live a healthy long life it's those pieces of the puzzle and quite often we, we 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 deal with the we deal with with the biochemical side and we mm-hmm. forget about the purpose side people need purpose in their life and they, they get we get programmed oh just go retire do nothing with yeah. the rest of your life like change your purpose fine but don't mm-hmm. not you have to have a reason to get up in the morning
0: yeah that that's like fuel for us just having purpose and waking up to do something and well
1: Exactly, and if we look at the if we look at the centarians the superagers, okay, superagers have very interesting um, characteristics. They have a higher positive social environment. Okay, yeah. they view personal relationships in a much more positive way. They have their cardiovascular, their blood cholesterol levels are higher. Their their brain atrophy is lower. So mm-hmm. all these things are contributing to them, and we. And the social interaction that is important for humans because we're very social organisms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very complex. Yeah. Okay? Social interaction, like just having a conversation, and all the things that go around getting up and going out for coffee and getting dressed and having a decent meal. All those things contribute to improving someone's health because just the fact, just just the process of going out for dinner with your friends. Okay, if you're 80 years old, has a whole Melu of things that go around with it, right? It's like, what yeah. am I going to wear? I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to do yes. this, and to all, and, and those are that's executive functioning, right? You're making decisions. Yeah. You're making, and and that we forget how rich just our social environments are,
0: yeah. and how
1: important those things are to maintain. And we can see it if we take a look at children with autism. That's what blocks the autistic process is because they their lack of myelination, the, the disturbed myelination of, the, of 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 development in autism caused by neurological inflammation Mm -hmm. that prevents them from interpreting the signals from their parents or their peers. Okay. So they use, so they use their playmates like action figures, right? Yeah. Because when they play with the playmate or they interact with their parents, they can't interpret the signals coming back from them. And if you they cannot.
0: Is that what you're saying? They cannot. No,
1: okay. it, they don't have the they don't have the, the spatial resolution. So when 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 you learn socially, right? If I say this word, do I get a smile? Do I get a frown? Okay. If I do this, do I get a hug? Do I get a you know, slap on the butt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Am I making? How do I please somebody? The only yeah. way that you can learn those interactions is if you can interpret the facial recognition and and the the context coming back into you. The impaired myelination of an autistic child prevents them from actually feeling and interpreting the, the, the sensory stimuli coming into them. So they can't learn because right. they can't titrate their activities. And so they end up you know, shutting off. They end up creating these... They become autistic. They become inside themselves because they can't actually interact with the environment. And so when you start restoring the myelination in children with autism, all of a sudden, they can actually interact Mm -hmm. and they want a hug from their mom and their dad Mm -hmm. right and they and they realize that feels good and it's it's just a it's a shockingly positive experience when when you restart the the myelination process in children with autism or even adults with autism they can actually start this process so this is back to this understanding of health okay you're not blocking anything restoring an autistic child or adult all you're doing is you are restoring the health of their myelination and the reason why they can't myelinate their axons in their brain is because the inflammation is degenerating their plasmalogen levels which is a critical molecule for the the myelin sheath Mm -hmm. and this mitochondrial insufficiency which has been the underlying issue so there's no real we don't have to block the symptoms of autism Mm -hmm. okay what we have to do is restore the mitochondrial function restore the myelination function and all of a sudden the human body takes care of the rest okay right. so you, the body will heal itself if you provide it with the materials that it requires that's that's our job as scientists and and, and medical professionals is to really understand those things mm-hmm. um, and find tools to put them into the system and they're actually what's what's amazing is that we have so many decades of research like this is actually not we do not suffer from a lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. The, the, the scientific literature, the scientific studies um, on these various topics are very robust. What we lack is the infrastructure and the ability to implement these in systematic, easy to, easy to follow instructions and educating individuals. And that's kind of where my passion is, is, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we do the discovery work, we, we invent, we develop things that, that aren't available But the biggest thing is educating people that how to do these simple things. And a lot of them are cheap as dirt, like your N-acetylcysteine to maintain your glutathione levels, the carnitines and the CoQ10s, like there's creatine, simple creatine and phosphocholine to, to lower your homocysteine levels and maintain neuromuscular and, you know, strength. These are very, very simple, straightforward molecules that are available they're part of our diet, but as we get older and as we, um, our systems, we just need to make sure that we're providing extra nutrition. Our, our, right. our basic environment does not, um, supply sufficient sustenance to maintain optimal health. You, you just can't physically eat this, um, in a, um, and get everything just from pure diet alone.
0: Right. And you know, you you hit on something so important to stress, and that is that the medical system is designed to, like you said, block processes through pharmaceutical means um, or even surgeries. You know, it, it's, it still doesn't look at the underlying cause. Not to undermine those things. We need pharmaceuticals. We need surgeries. They are life-saving in many aspects. But the problem, if we weigh too much on the pharmaceutical side, is that we're blocking metabolic processes whereas research that you're doing and the products that you're designing and engineering and pioneering really um, help support those metabolic processes is that right yeah
1: and they go hand in hand right it's like the good fences make good neighbors like the mm-hmm. the, the, the medical community is actually very very good at mm-hmm. acute care medicine like if you have a heart attack, if you have, okay, a broken bone, like if you have an infection, like our system is actually very, very good at dealing with acute care situations. And it's gotten better and better at doing that. It's not designed for chronic care issues. It's just not right. um, there. And you're so part of it, we're to blame for asking a system that's designed for one thing to do something else. Right. Okay. And, and so partly we're to blame that because we shouldn't be asking that acute care medical system to deal with these long-term chronic care issues. And this is where public health has failed us fundamentally. Mm -hmm. Okay. We don't really have public health anymore because this is where you can have more complex integrated protocols. Okay. The pharmaceutical path is designed to protect the consumer from someone selling you, you know, antifreeze. Okay. And so Mm -hmm. it, takes a single molecule for a single indication it's dealing with molecules that are not natural so they're not naturally occurring so if i want to give you a molecule of you know fluoxetine which is the active ingredient Prozac for example that doesn't mm-hmm. exist in nature you can't eat it from anywhere so if right. i'm going to start giving human beings this okay i'm going to want to control how it's made i want studies to show its safety and i want to show that it has efficacy for a defined purpose okay but you and that's a single molecule process but the human body is like a brewery, like it's it's a cooking show, right? So you're dealing with multiple, multiple ingredients, and like you know, every time you have a different recipe, you're going to get a different outcome, mm-hmm. and you can't FDA that, right. like, like like that's and so and it's not designed for that. That's not what it was purpose. The purpose wasn't the FDA wasn't designed to evaluate a ketogenic diet versus a <laughs> carnivore diet like yeah. that's not it's that's not all it's not its purpose right mm-hmm. and so people think you know we, we can't stand outside and just throw stones at these these institutions um mm-hmm. obviously and, they, and all institutions will creep to areas that they're not supposed to be in that's just the nature of any organism that kind of tries to find more and more purpose for itself and yeah. so it's our job to kind of keep the FDA and that regulatory system in the box it was designed to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the public health has fundamentally failed us because we just don't do that work in the community anymore. Uh, right. So.
0: Yeah. You mentioned also adaptability and that our bodies adapt to the environment that we put them in. But clearly there's a disconnect there. And you correct me if I'm wrong in, in your professional opinion, but we put, seem to put demands on our bodies that they can't necessarily take. Um, do you think that's a fair statement?
1: It is. Um, I, a good example is, is exercise. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I tell people exercise is bad for you. You know, recovering from exercise is good for you. Okay. And so you can, so we exercise to recover from the exercise from it. And it's the recovery process that, that gives us a physiological benefit from it. Okay. And so that's exactly right. That is pairing your purpose with your function. Okay. And your function will will rise, but you need to feed it. Right. And so for example, I can get better and better at racing or I can get better and better at my sport. Okay. Through practice, Mm -hmm. but I can't do that with malnourishment. And so in terms of enhancing your performance and enhancing your purpose, Okay, the other side of the coin is that you have to have the functional capacity to, to execute. Right. And that's where if you if you push the body using a purpose that's beyond its capability, okay. If you take, you know, a little economy car and try to run it in NASCAR, it's going to blow apart. Right. So and so that's exactly what, what happens sometimes. Some people think that they can just think their way through it right they can push their way through it they can mentally overcome okay a biochemical deficiency and that's that's false logic like you have like you want you have to you know i can if i put you out at minus 60 degrees butt naked you're not going to survive for long i don't care no. what you think i don't care what you <laughs> how, how how much purposeful so you so the whole concept of your genetics like this is where your genetics our job as stewards of our body and as stewards of our genetics is to create the environment that is compatible with our phenotype. Okay. Right. And so that's where our job is, is to like the body, and this is where the biochemical testing comes in. Right. Okay. Like, you know, you're the guy who has to go to the store and choose the pint of ice cream versus, you know, the chicken breast or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Like, and so your, your body can't do that but so but it it but it does speak to you okay your body is is communicating with you and it communicates you with you via biochemistry okay your blood work your the the molecules that are being transformed okay through this first law of thermodynamics whatever comes in has to come out okay so you are a closed system and so it's telling you it's 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 speaking to you in a language that's actually quite interpretable but you need to learn learn it and then you can go like if your HDL levels are low, it says your reverse cholesterol transport is not working properly. There are systematic step-by-step. Okay. phosphatidylcholine, DHA plasmalogens, niacin, like clockwork, you can re- restore your reverse cholesterol transport. And we know that if we maintain that our risk of cancer goes really low down, mm. right? Cardiovascular disease, our, our, um, endothelial function improves and so on and so forth. Right. And if we can, and we look at oxidative stress markers, we know for a fact, like if we maintain N-acetylcysteine, some um, mitochondrial function, those will come down and other things. So, so these are things that, so your biochemistry, the testing will tell you what parts of your human body are underperforming. Right. And it's, it's your responsibility as a steward of your biochemical health to restore those things. It's, you know, right. someone has to, you know, do that so yes so See, yeah so your point is absolutely true like you can push <laughs> this this is why people like uh professional athletes for example right like they're, these individuals who are just the prime of their life right they are the most you know they're the the the, the epitome of of perfect health when they're in their mid years and then they age like crazy crap right yeah right and that's, so that's the, a very
0: common thing
1: right exactly yeah. because mm-hmm. they they have burned themselves out Okay. And so, and that happens with say disease like bipolar and autism as well. So these high, so high functioning autistic or a high functioning bipolar patient, right? Their, Mm -hmm. their brains are working there at a higher metabolic capacity because of some of the inflammation, some of the issues that they have. So they require, they have a different genotype, if you will. So they have a different requirement autistic children for example when you take when you measure blood work in autistic children they're going to have lower levels of b12 they're going to have homo- they're going to have these nutrient deficiencies okay mm-hmm. and that's not because the parents are malnourishing their kids that's not what's happening okay these vitamins and these nutrients that we consume they have limited windows of shelf life okay right. they last a certain period of time so if you have an infl- when your body's inflamed okay it will go through vitamins at a much higher rate And so, and so same thing with an athlete or some disorders or differences, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, over time they will burn out, but they don't have to. Okay. So you can, you just make sure that that particular system is being reinforced, right? Like a child with autism has some sort of inherent mitochondrial insufficiency. So you need to make sure that that mitochondrial insufficiency is supported so that so they have no reserve capacity.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if, if if they get an infection, if they get a hit in the head, they get an adverse reaction to 10 vaccines at once, whatever the heck it is, right? Yeah. It causes yeah. an inflammatory trigger. That inflammatory trigger doesn't get resolved. It stays, it perpetuates itself and it becomes an autoimmune disease. Same thing with people with long COVID. People that got, you know, so you know, lots of people with the vaccine injuries, lots of people with the COVID injuries. But there's lots of people that don't have those injuries, right? So mm-hmm. what's the difference between those individuals that somehow were able to tolerate it, and somehow were not? The right. difference is their reserve capacity, their ability to um, adapt to the stress of like so. When when, when something has, has occurred, do they have the reserve capacity to handle that? Do you have a savings? Do you you know creating this metabolic or biochemical savings account, if you will?
0: Right. So do you believe that the differentiation in reserve capacities can actually determine which disease somebody might be more susceptible to?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, really? so, well, so the mitochondrial insufficiency, for example. So mm-hmm. virtually all women who get multiple sclerosis have a mitochondrial insufficiency. In children with, with autism, that's why we have the, the three to one gender bias. Okay, mm-hmm. so young girls are basically protected Or they have additional protection with beta estradiol because it protects their mitochondrial function so the same percentage of boys and girls get exposed to the autism creating stressor but girls can have a higher level of tolerance than boys because Mm -hmm. the well technically beta estradiol or estrogen it increases a, a protein called the monocarboxylic acid transporter and it allows cells to export glu- uh, lactate better. So this is why women, pre they have much less heart disease issues. If you take a look at the gender biases mm-hmm. that are different between men and women, especially on the cardiovascular side, you'll see that those lines go back to normal post-menopause. Okay, so estrogen is a very highly protective or uh, molecule. And then women get adapted to it. Their body is used to having it. And then the menopausal process um, creates them to have a, quite a dramatic physiological change. Um, they have to, mm-hmm. they, they're adapting to a critical nutrient that they no longer have. And so that's why you know hormone replacement, restoration, or maintenance um, is quite powerful for, for individuals. So yeah, so the answer is absolutely correct. Phosphatylcholine, for example. If you take a look at the Steve Jobs and the Patrick Swayzes. Anyone in your world that you found died of pancreatic cancer... I can guarantee you they had a phospholipid deficiency. Wow. Okay, it's it's that's ground zero on pancreatic cancer and liver cancer diseases, and easily fixable, easily monitored, and so on. Um, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, these are very very clearly um, mitochondrial related. What happens with them is that it's called extra mitochondrial um, ATP production. So. Mm-hmm. And so, what, and so the BRCA genotype is a very, this is where different genotypes become really interesting because they do, even though it affects a small portion of the population. So the, the BRCA1 and 2 gene, one of the most disease-linked genotypes that we have.
0: Right. And you know, just for our listeners, the BRCA gene is that breast cancer susceptibility gene, correct? Correct. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, well, what, what happens when people, when women have a BRCA mutation, BRCA one or BRCA two, um, that the protein that that gene creates doesn't function properly, mm-hmm. so you, you, you it creates a misfunctioning protein, and only about five percent of all breast cancers are caused by BRCA. Okay, so it, it's that little, bad. huh? Yeah, wow. I know it's interesting, right? You don't think yeah. so? So biochemistry contributes to over ninety percent of cancers, like we can predict, over ninety percent of all cancers from biochemical markers
0: alone. Things we can control is what you're saying. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Wow. And so, so colon cancer, breast, you know, breast cancer, ovarian, the whole nine yards. And I've written extensively, print um, presented extensively on that. Tens of thousands. That's good news. Tens of That's thousands. That's good news well, very for news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so what happens then in cancer, cancer, the biochemistry phenotype of cancers is very clear and its age association is also very clear because our ability to process glucose changes, okay, with type 2 diabetes type concepts, but not just type 2 diabetes. Um, In that cancer is caused by uh, impaired mitochondrial ATP production, which forces the cell to create ATP outside the mitochondria, extra mitochondria. Mm -hmm. So people hear about the Warburg hypothesis or cancer cells love sugar, for example, everyone understands that people, well, it's not because they love sugar. It's because they can't survive without it. Okay. Mm -hmm. They have been trained to become glucose dependent because they, they can't, their mitochondria can't, provide the ATP that it needs and since it can't provide the ATP it gradually adapts to that situation so mm-hmm. cancer is, an, is again it's an ad- adaptation process okay we create the cancer okay cancer comes from a normal cell that can no longer function normally so that mm-hmm. cancer cell has deviated from its healthy state it doesn't want to be a cancer cell okay right. it doesn't it has no choice but to become <laughs> one right? And you're not born with it. So since you're not born with cancer, you, you your cells become cancerous. By definition, those cells have um, deviated from their purpose and function and health. And so to put cancer back in the box is actually biochemically pretty straightforward. And, and so you need to restore the fasting state. So fasting cells can't become cancerous. So for example, you virtually never hear of cancer in skeletal muscle or the heart, okay? Cells that require that, that rely like 80, 90% on fatty acid metabolism never become cancers. And so as we get older, we lose skeletal muscle mass, sarcopenia, you know, muscle wasting gets involved in that. Yeah. And then, you know, just statistical probabilities, like you, you have a large group of people, like even, you know, the cancer rates are still small percentages of the overall population. Cumulatively they, they build up, right. um, but they're not, um, like there's still a relatively small percentage. And so that's because statistically now, if you you get the right environment, the right susceptibility, um, then you're gonna get that trigger. And that's the other thing, all diseases require two components. One is a susceptibility factor, and the other is a trigger factor. Okay, so back to this bald tire, flat tire analogy, if you have a brand new tire, okay, you your susceptibility to a flat is low doesn't mean it's impossible if you hit the right nail you can blow a brand new tire okay but probabilistically it's going to be a a bald tire that's more likely to become flat Mm -hmm. so a bald tire the trigger the size of nail required to cause a flat is much smaller and that's all diseases are like that and so for autism for example the you're dealing with a bunch of children that are running on bald tires and so right. just a, a small trigger can cause it. Whereas children that have a higher level of resilience, they get the exact same trigger, they deal with it, it goes away, and they never get autism. And so that's why all disease, and so building this reserve capacity is so critical. And we, and this, what's so powerful about human biochemistry is that we have all of these studies. We've, we've, every time I do a study on Parkinson's or ALS, okay, there's always going to be a control arm. Right? There's always a healthy, normal control arm that we use mm-hmm. as a comparative. so we know mm-hmm. what health is. Okay, and and we get so the, the medical community has been so focused on diagnosing disease, which is fine. You want that? That's not a, a negative thing. But they've forgotten that it also the other side of the coin is just diagnosing deviation from health.
0: Right. right.
1: Okay. So we know what healthy systems are supposed to be, and so when it deviates from that, and we and then we can. We can link those deviations to multiple outcomes.
0: So you mentioned deviation from health, and we've been exploring that a lot in this conversation. What are some basic takeaways people can take from what we're discussing here? I know there's not a one-size-fits-all necessarily. We're different genetically. We have different predispositions. Uh, We have different environments. But what are some building blocks that you would recommend to somebody out there who just wants to maintain that wellness and prevent disease?
1: That's a great question. You know, and it's actually not that complicated. So, so that's what, so at Protome Science and then at the Dr. Goodnell Research group that we have, um, I have a blood test called Protome Scan. And it's kind of my list of greatest hits from the tens of thousands of blood samples that we've analyzed and so we can talk about what are those core components what are the, what are the key things so one is your membrane structure of the body okay what gives you physical three-dimensional structure is membranes so you have 30 trillion cells and you have about 30 trillion more in your gut each one of those three-dimensional constructs if you will are covered with a biological membrane and that biological membrane is not made of plaster and wood it's made of actual biological material, and the material is called phospholipids, and these phospholipids create a phospholipid bilayer, mm-hmm. and it's critical that you have the well-nutrition of those molecules. The big one is phospholcholine. a critical thing. We don't measure it properly, so when choline levels get low, reverse cholesterol transport is disrupted, membrane structure is disrupted, lots of things that are associated with that. Plasmalogen levels, which is a type of phospholipid, it's like a modifier of your membranes, Mm-hmm. It's a critical molecule that your body has to make 20 to 30 percent of your brain, 50 percent of your membrane of your heart, high concentrations in your lung, your kidneys. They're, they're everywhere. But your body makes them and very significant amounts of it. And what's happened with COVID, what's happened with these autoimmunes is that this chronic inflammation has really depleted people of these plasmalogens. And we're seeing so much more of that. So you want to make sure you've maintained your plasmalogen levels um, in your body. Then your. Fatty acid distributions, people know a little bit about that. There's certain molecules that your gut microbiome make called mm-hmm. um, gastrointestinal tract acids that are highly linked to inflammation, but also to colon cancer and pancreatic cancer. Those are easily screened. Breast cancer, ovarian cancer, You can, the risk for those is this fatty acid elongation, which is basically mitochondrial. So your mitochondria is like an engine. It right. takes in hydrocarbons and it takes in oxygen and it burns it just like the carburetor in your car, or your fuel injection, and you get carbon dioxide and water coming out. Mm-hmm. And the fuel, the actual, you know, fuel of the mitochondrial is a little molecule called acetyl-CoA, little two-carbon molecule. That's what runs the entire body.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what we use to generate the CO2 and, and water from. But Can we
0: take that, that acetyl-CoA? Well, that you can't we
1: really take it. It's, it's a, okay. you're, you're. Everything goes to it. It funnels down to okay. it. So when you take a fatty acid, so fatty acid beta oxidation, what does it Like
0: take? omega-3, 6, 9, is that what you're saying? Yeah, or
1: saturated okay. fat, like a palmitic acid, which is so 16 carbons. It just chops it up two at a time and okay. creates these little t- two carbon units. Glucose. So
0: saturated fat is good, you're saying?
1: Oh yeah, saturated fat is the cleanest energy of the body. So best way, so that's the most clean burning fuel. Like th- your body runs on saturated fat okay wow when you eat a meal when you eat a meal this is what your body makes okay when your body says hey what am i going to store to eat later it makes palmitic acid stearic acid and oleic acid those are the three molecules that the human body makes and stores in your fat cells for later that's Hmm. what it likes that's human body food period all the polyunsaturates like the omega sixes and omega threes those are just modifiers those are we don't use those as an energy source. We don't, that's not fuel for the human body. That is just, we need it for membrane structure and fluidity. It's like your omega-3s are, are critically important, but you're not using it for energy. So cleanest burning energy that creates the least amount of oxidative stress is saturated fat. And same thing with glucose. Glucose, which is a six carbon um, alcohol, um, it gets broken into pyruvate, essentially, from glycolysis. And pyruvate gets converted to acetyl-CoA okay so it, okay. so so both glucose and fat they get converted they get digested to acetyl-CoA and then the mitochondria burn that so what happens then and it's supposed to burn that when the mitochondria can't perform its function okay it, it gets oh I can't there's too much acetyl-CoA I can't I can't burn all this stuff it leaks out it's like a smoking car that you're following on the on the road right okay this acetyl-CoA comes out of the mitochondria and it goes into fatty acid elongation. It helps support the cancer phenotypes. And so we can measure that. And one of those situations that happens in cancer, which is highly um, diagnostic, we publish this in, in, in different populations with breast cancer, is um, fatty acid elongation rates. So it's like you have a messy house, friends mm-hmm. are coming over, and you throw all this extra stuff in your attic. That's what's going on in the cell. Like, again, first law of Thermodynamics. Like it, it, once it's created, you got to deal with it. Right. So right. whatever comes in has got to come out.
0: Like a spillover of fuel and then the cancer cells are grabbing right. onto that fuel. Is that what you're saying? Right.
1: Wow. And, and so you can measure that elongation rate um, very simply in a simple blood test. So those, so the other one people know about is your mitoc- your methyltransferase function, which is
0: homocysteine. I don't know what that is. What is that?
1: So <laughs> When people measure the molecule homocysteine, for example, high levels okay. of homocysteine are linked to Alzheimer's disease and cardiovascular right. outcomes. It's methyl, So methyl transferase is a biochemical system that your body uses to add methyl groups. So okay. SAMe, S-A-D-E-N-O-S-A-N-E, people hear about that. That's a methyl transferase molecule. And your body uses it to make neurotransmitters. But the big issue is it makes phosphatidylcholine and creatine. Creatine for your muscles and for your brain is a mm-hmm. critical molecule and that's made by the methyltransferase system. It's one of the weak links in human biochemistry. So reduced methyltransferase causes all of the neurofibrillary tangles in Alzheimer's, for example. And reduced, so that it controls a bunch of systems in the body. It's, it's one of the, it's a biochemical weak link in human physiology that will decline. So people will take um, methyltransferase support, like when you take b 12 Mm-hmm. Methylfolate, maybe people take the trimethylglycine or a betaine, for example. Those are all those are all homocysteine recycling molecules. Okay. The big value, though, is taking creatine as a supplement and phosphatococholine as a supplement. Those reduce the methyltransferase load. So there's certain nutrients. Okay. When we when over the last couple hundred years or so, when people were you know scurvy for vitamin C deficiencies and pellagra and so on, when you have a, an overt deficiency of a nutrient that your body can't make. We have these nutrient deficiency diseases. Right. And there's certain molecules that we call non-essential and we call them non-essential because technically the body can make it. So you won't die if you don't get them in your diet. Like you, like if I give you a phosphocholine deficient diet, okay, you're not going to die. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause your body can actually make it, but it's actually stressful for the body to make it. Mm-hmm. So, some of these essential nutrients that are considered, oh, you know what, I can, my body can make them, so why should I care to eat them? Well, that's kind of a dumb idea. Like, so <clears throat> you want to actually provide high uh, demand molecules exogenously in your food supply. So if you mm-hmm. take phospholiphone and creatine supplements, your homocysteine levels will be low because what you've done is you've reduced that load and that demand on your body. So the methyl transfer system is a critical system, mitochondrial system, Very easy to measure. The big molecules for that is your simple B vitamins. We forget. Like these vitamins have been around for a hundred years for a reason. Right? Right. Your 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 thiamine and your riboflavin and good old-fashioned niacin, these are things that your body uses. Okay, so the B basic B vitamins, and then these other nutrients. So when when a child is getting breast milk from the mother, so breast milk is about 80% whey protein, 20% Cassian. and then it has Plasmalogens in breast milk, which is very interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the whey protein has good levels of what's called sulfur amino acids. So, the cysteine that we talk about, um, that goes, the anacetylcysteine that is used for glutathione levels. Like, there's, there's, like, our food supply basically is designed to get most things. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if your body is healthy, like, you can kind of build up reserve capacities of them, right? Mm-hmm. So, But people that are vegetarians or or don't eat enough meat, um, they can become deficient in certain sulfur amino acids. And so it's very critical if you are going to be a strict vegetarian, it's very important that you take certain supplements that are just really deficient in in plant products. Cysteine, sulfur amino acids, is a a critical thing. So mitochondrial function, we talk about N-acetylcysteine, carnitine, CoQ10, these are molecules that your mitochondrial function needs. So you can measure it. So this mitochondrial function I just mentioned about, you know, acetyl-CoA leakage, one area. Peroxisomal function, people might not know about that word, but um, they may have heard it for, you know, drugs like fibrates or even if people take DHA to lower their triglycerides,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that's important. So, so some of these really simple blood tests are extremely powerful. Fasting triglycerides, okay, always should be under 100. 70 to 80, 70 to 90, 60 to 90 in that range.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whenever you triglycerides, your fasting triglycerides are over hundred. That means your body's just recycling fat. It means because mm. your body runs in the fasting state. Okay. The, the human gas tank is all the subcutaneous fat around your body. Okay. Right. The only reason we eat at all, the only purpose of eating, okay, is to store fat. That's what we do. Okay. We, we eat a meal to store fat for when, mm. and we use that stored fat, For energy when we're not eating
0: right
1: and that's the whole point just like when you fill your gas your car up with gas at this gas station you fill it up you run around town and you fill it up again you don't run around you don't you don't fill your gas tank up 10 times a day the human body the human body is not designed that way either like it should have you know relatively small numbers of meals um Mm -hmm. and most of the period of time should be in the fasting state so what happens when your fasting triglycerides get over a hundred is that when you're in the fasting state, your adipose tissue, your subcutaneous fat is releasing energy for you to survive and right. live. And these fatty acids are being transported to all the cells of your body and they're going into your cells of your body to be per- burned for energy, this whole process. But when they go into your cells and your cells say, oh, sorry, I can't, I can't process this, these fatty acids, your cells put them back on triglycerides and send them back to your fat cells. So whenever your fasting triglycerides are over 100, it indicates that your cellular energy is not performing. It's it has a deviation from health. It's supposed to be in that 60 to 90 range. If it's over that, means that your body biochemistry is not working properly. Very very powerful measure, and that's why things that lower triglycerides are exercise, okay, resistance training, all these yeah. things that are healthy for us. Do these things. So that's a big valuable system again easily fixed monitored um with either lifestyle or or diet or and certain supplements will help improve that process and then cholesterol we talked you know cholesterol is a big one cholesterol transport total cholesterol is one of the most powerful biomarkers of health there is you want to have your total cholesterol in that 220 to 240 range soon as total cholesterol gets under 200 you your all cause mortality starts doubling and your cancer risk goes up so you want because it's an indicator of health. Cholesterol is a really powerful marker of cellar, cellular health. And all these people who have all these superagers, what do they have in common? High cholesterol in their high cholesterol in their LDL. All, it's, just, it's remarkable this obsession we have with lowering cholesterol. So this it's just not supported by any epidemiological data whatsoever. Like, I'm, and we're not talking small studies. We're talking composite studies of one hundred and sixty-two countries tens of millions of patient data sets like this is not even remotely open for for discussion optimal human cholesterol levels for longevity is somewhere in the 220 to 240 range and the reason why is it indicates that your cells are healthy so cholesterol is one of the most critical molecules for the human body high levels of it are in all of our membranes of the body when you when you're measuring blood cholesterol levels okay you're if your cells are uh, unhealthy, for example, so when your cells can't make enough of their own cholesterol, they pull it from the blood supply. Okay, so that's what a statin does. So a statin will will stop your cells from making their own cholesterol. So the only way that the cells can get the cholesterol that they need is that they got to suck it in from the blood supply. So they suck in the LDL cholesterol. So by blocking your cholesterol manufacturing, you lower LDL. That's what statins do. But if you have low LDL levels and you're not on a statin, that means your cells can't make enough cholesterol. It means you can't make enough hormones. It's a very, very powerful indicator that something is wrong inside your cells. Your cells are not performing in a healthy functioning way. There's a, there's a drag on your system. And HDL is another big powerful, like you want HDL, you know, in that 60-70 range, because that's what allows your cells to share its cholesterol with each other. That's a reverse cholesterol transport. Because remember, you, you're, you know, you got a trillion cells. Okay, they're, they're next to each other and they, they in, they're in a symbiotic relationships with each other. So one healthy cell can make a little extra cholesterol, exports it, the cell next to it gets it back and forth. So you have this cholesterol sharing system, especially in the brain, very critical. Um, but if you, if you can't share the cholesterol, the cholesterol builds up in the membranes. And this is, again, another really very powerful biomarker of cancers, like low HDL. Low phosphocholine is a high predictor of all cancers. Um, so getting your, keeping your HDL levels up. And what the best way to keep HDL levels up is plasmalogens. Okay, it's a, they're, they're a membrane molecule, but when your membranes get deficient in plasmalogens, then your cells can't export cholesterol properly. This is the other part people think. When we measure things, people sometimes take a this deterministic approach, when in fact we're seeing the opposite. Okay, when we're measuring from the blood, we're seeing what's coming out of your cells. And so your HDL levels, HDL is not coming around sucking cholesterol out of your cells. That's not what happens. Your cells are exporting cholesterol and your body, your HDL system is adapting to the cholesterol export demands. And so if your cells are healthy and exporting more cholesterol, your body will make more HDL to, to meet the demand. It's not the other way around. People think that People think that oh, if I just increase my HDL levels, I'm going to increase cholesterol clearance. No, it's the other way around. And so, and so that's why when you get the phosphocholine deficiencies, so that's critical. So cholesterol regulation. The other thing with aging that we forget, <clears throat> two other very important biomarkers that are extremely cheap to get in your regular your thing. Uh, I just organize them in a nice, uh, you know, report structure. Is creatinine so creatinine is a molecule people measure for kidney function, renal clearance rates. And if you have high levels of creatinine, it indicates you could have renal failure issues, which is fine. It works for that. But the more important part is if you have low levels. Okay, low levels of creatinine means that you are creatine deficient, but it also means you're in a muscle-wasting space. It means that you're not making enough creatine for your muscles and your brain. Low creatinine is actually a much more dangerous risk factor than high creatinine. And in fact, if you have high creatinine, it says that your kidneys aren't functioning properly. It's even more important that you take creatine supplements because your kidneys are responsible for making your, your creatine. So that's another very powerful marker maintained so you don't need sarcopenia, And the other last one that I tell people is very easy to measure is uric acid. We use uric acid for gout, that's what it's been used for, but really the more important aspect of uric acid is low levels of uric acid, because it indicates if you're NAD deficient. So a lot of people looking at NAD optimization. So those are, so you have, from a biochemical perspective, you know, this sounds like a lot, but it's actually just some core systems that are what I would consider the, you know, the, the, the high priority molecules. And if you can get those systems, if you can get your mitochondrial work, your membrane structure working, um, metal transferase, cholesterol regulation, if those
0: systems are working, you're going to be a pretty healthy person. That is fantastic. Wow. Um, I, I hate to say this, but we're out of time. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> but uh, I, I really hope, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface of this stuff, and I would love to have you back, Dr. Good. Now, if you would join us again on a future episode, just yeah, so we sure. can unpack this. Well, that's great. Real quick though, can you tell people how they can find you and your work? So,
1: so supplements are available at prodrome.com. And then my research and my clinical trial stuff and our clinics and are found at drgoodnow.com. So all the educational components and, and all of our research
0: is done at, at drgoodnow.com. That's great. I'll make sure to include that in the show notes too. Excellent. Well, thanks, all right. Mike. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Doctor Goodnow, yes. and that'll do it for this edition of the Natural Man Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and check us out at Natural Man Pod. Ta- I can't talk today. Make sure you subscribe at NaturalManPodcast.com to check out our other episodes. Until next time, I'm Mike C. Stay healthy. The Natural Man Podcast. Check us out: NaturalManPodcast.com. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives
1: buried there. Hope you join us as we exume the truth.
0: The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers.